Do you know who first specified mathematically the gimbal? Yeah, that was Je- uh, Jeff Gimbal. Hello, everyone. What is up and what's going down? This is what's going down. This is the Cardano Citizen. Today on the show, we have James Dunseeth from Gimbal Labs, and we talk about Gimbal Labs. Gimbal Labs is one of those cornerstone proposals that got funded way back in Fund 2, and the team there, uh, including James, are deeply involved in the community and in development and have continuing activity and involvement in Project Catalyst, development, and future governance. So we talked to James about what's going on over there and what's going on with Gimbal in general. Okay, here's James. Hello, James Dunseeth from Gimbal Labs. How are you doing today, sir? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Dallas. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's uh, in the middle of a crazy heat wave. But it's uh, six o'clock where I am, so it's only plus 30 degrees, <laughs> which I don't know what that works out to Fahrenheit. Everyone in my audience is in the US, but we could Google it. Uh, it's warm. But other than that, I'm doing great. I also drank four liters of water today. <laughs> so I, I so, don't know what a liter is either. Oh, though, geez. So. A gallon, but not an American <laughs> gallon. There you go. I drank a Canadian gallon. It's, it's yeah, four liters. A, a, tiny, oh, okay. a, a tiny bit larger. So that's the kind of day I'm having. Um, So you're from Gimbal Labs, which is not the same as Gimbal Labs, which is something I just learned. I thought you guys were called Gimbal Labs. Uh, When I think of a gimbal, I think of uh, the thing that does video recording in a steady way is that was that your guys intention to to call it a gimbal like in, in video audio video stuff? Absolutely. That's that's one of the kinds of gimbals that you'll see out there in the wild. But fun fact, do you know who first specified mathematically the gimbal? Yeah, that was Je- uh, Jeff Gimbal. <laughs> no? It was Gerolamo Cardano himself. What? And so, yeah, I mean, and not not in the video context at that point, but more as a balancing mechanism uh a, a any gyroscope is made up of connected rings and each of those rings is called a gimbal and he was the first to kind of write it out mathematically what a gimbal was and to kind of define it it was an object that existed but wasn't really named until until he gave it one that's completely out of left field for me i had no idea the backstory of Cardano at all. I just knew Ada and Ada Lovelace and the naming convention of the, of, you know, Byron, Shelley, all that stuff. Right. But I had no idea Cardano was a guy. Yeah. 16th century Italian polymath. Uh, we think he met Da Vinci at least once. So kind of that era and running in those circles. Wow. And did the mathematical uh, formulations for how gimbals work or should work? Is that like an engineering problem? 
that's my understanding. That's that's about the limit of my <laughs> my understanding of it. But yes, that's the idea. Wow. <laughs> well, there we go. So it's Gimbal Labs. It makes way more sense when you say it like that. Um, I've I might still call it Gimbal Labs out of laziness occasionally, uh, but it's not intentional. <laughs> Gimbal Labs. So as I was prepping for this interview, I mean, I've done a formal preparation in terms of my questions that I like to do and stuff like that. But uh, as I'm wandering around my house, just getting ready literally to turn on the microphone and stuff, I thought my first kind of set of questions, obviously, we need to get you to introduce yourself. Um, most people are probably going to be familiar with uh, your organization at the very least. Um, but to me, I'm not, I'm not knee deep in the, uh, in the Gimbal Labs community. I'm always just kind of on the outskirts of all communities because I'm kind of, I'm so busy and I'm trying to do this and trying to do that and trying to do this. But, uh, so I don't know all the players. I don't know your sort of main roles and that sort of thing. So why don't we start with you yourself? Um, how you got into crypto? Uh, and uh and the typical sort of story of of how you got to cardano and then why you feel it's important to uh be aligned with cardano and that sort of thing yeah absolutely um and i think my story mirrors a lot of people i've met um i well and actually i'll rewind a little bit though i mean so i'm just I've been a teacher for most of my adult life and I've always had all sorts of geeky hobbies because I think that makes <clears throat> teachers better just to know more about more things. So it was always dabbling in this and that. I was teaching high school math, but oh. always, always had a coding project running on the side or a group of people talking about this or that. Um, and I was aware of Bitcoin early, uh, but I, I, it just didn't, I didn't care that much. And in retrospect, I don't really have any regrets about, you know, those, all these stories you hear about people who were like, yeah, I, I should have invested in Bitcoin. For mm -hmm. me, it's not even that. It's more that I'm embarrassed that I didn't appreciate, uh, some of the, encryption and privacy yeah some of the technical things just didn't didn't light me up back then right you know uh mm. 10 years ago i really didn't care about encryption that much uh key pairs all all that kind of thing um we, we didn't understand that it was an individual unit of software that could be uh that eventually developed into many use cases Right. Yeah, we heard, I... yeah, we heard. Yeah, we heard. And and you know what? And this this keeps happening across the crypto spaces. Is things are conveniently misrepresented, and so we can come back to that point when we talk about Gimbal Labs later. Uh, but for me, yeah, it just didn't. You know, I had I had colleagues uh, at the school I was teaching who who knew about it. I had I had a colleague whose husband was you know mining. Um, and it's it, at that part sounded pretty cool, but I was like, yeah, in my, in my New York apartment, I'm not going to try to do something yeah. like that. Um, so, you know, the years passed and then I heard about Ethereum and I heard about smart contracts and that was the first time that I was like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. I, I, I want to know more about that kind of followed it. 
And then suddenly Ethereum started getting really valuable. And so it was in the middle of 2017 that I finally started investing at all, right? Was there for the money part and yeah. 2017 got crazy. Were, were you were you following the market in those days? I was following it and uh, stayed out of it on purpose for a couple reasons. One, my dad uh, called me up and says, hey, what do you know about Bitcoin? And I was like, uh, you know what, this is, I'll, I'll keep my language fairly clean uh, for your <laughs> sake, but this is an, a quite suitable NSFW type podcast. I was like, what the F do you know about Bitcoin, buddy? <laughs> what are you talking about? You can't even operate your phone. You know what I mean? And so as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, this is over. This is uh, not that it's not real, but because mm-hmm. I've had people at work that were like uh, in around 2012. I know somebody that got in for sub 100 bucks or something like that. You know what I mean? And and I don't know. He didn't keep it very long. Yeah. I I recommended against it. I I was from the uh, the school of thought that uh, it's a good way to get the entire U.S. government to blow your head off with M16s. It might still be. You know what I mean? Like. Uh, I was like, these people are not going to be favorable to a, a free and open currency or blah, blah, blah. Like, what are you guys playing with? You could, um, to be fair, my own personal, uh, point of view on the world back then was a little bit more darker than it is now, which is strange given how dark things seem to be. But, um, this is kind of the, my headspace at the time, 10 years ago. But when my old man called me up in 2017 and, uh, and had put a bit in, and I don't know, I think he got in around 600 bucks or something like that and was riding it. And uh, I was like, this is a bubble. I didn't realize it was going to go to 20 grand, right? But I'm like, if my dad is telling me about it. <laughs> it turns out he was a little bit early, and uh, but he wrote it out. And then he, uh, he, he didn't have diamond hands, though. He got out uh, during the, when it popped in the, a little bit in the uh, bear market and he mm-hmm. broke even. But, uh, yeah, so it wasn't until this latest run that I was like, you know what? Bitcoin itself doesn't make sense to me because the use cases to me are all BS. Um, for me specifically, my income bracket, my financial goals, right? It's a store of value. Um, I felt, you know, how much value do I need to store? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it might be a store of value, but, uh, to me, it's a hundred percent pure speculation instrument. And, uh, that only works if you can time the market. So, uh, I've always not been a fan of it. And I'm like you, Ethereum made more sense. Cause now all of a sudden you're, you're adding something to the effect of like an, if then statement to an execution of an, of a directive. And I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. That's something else. Ooh, right. it does something. Yeah. 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 And, and, and it can be asked to do something based on some kind of parameters or something. Right. Exactly. I took us off on a, on a, no, on a, no, on a Bitcoin tangent, is... but that's my argument against Bitcoin. It has no use cases except for speculation. And then you have to be able to time the market. Otherwise it's all BS. And I mean, and this, and uh, learning more, right? All of these things, we arrive at bigger questions and, and things we didn't expect to be thinking about, right? So I appreciate I appreciate the need for sound money more than I probably did five and certainly 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate the need for a, you know, a settlement layer that, that is distributed and permissionless. So 
it's uh it's exciting um and and yeah as pretty much an investor only right for that mm -hmm. for that bull run in 2017 tried a bunch of things i you know made sure to get scammed a few times just nice. had had a real approach of just let's okay here we are um the the little bit of money i just put in uh is now worth more than a paycheck so gosh that mm. i didn't expect that to happen yeah, yeah. um so i i want to go learn from this right and i you know i had never really I'm not an investor. I, I don't, I don't, I, it's not the way I want to spend my time. I have nothing against it. I have a lot of friends who are successful investors. Um, my dad was a financial planner for families, you know, that's, that's what he did for work. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, aware of all this stuff, just much more interested in, in teaching and learning. Um, but at the height of that bull market, suddenly the the little <clears throat> handful of cardano i had was what did it peak at it was a, a dollar 17 us maybe higher back then um, yeah didn't it it might have hit 134 or something like that right even that okay so and I, I remember i was actually talking to my dad at that time and i was like and he was like you got you know you gotta you gotta take your profits on that on that ada there mm. and i was like yeah you're probably right but this feels really exciting. And if it keeps going up, I'm going to be pissed. And honestly, dad, I kind of hope it goes back down to nothing because that means we can get more, you know? And, and so sure enough, the whole market crashed, but the other beautiful thing about, two cents. about bull markets ending is, is bear markets are really, are really bull development cycles. And it was so nice for the, for the sensation of price to subside and then to be like all right let's let's actually start to learn about this thing and to spend a few years mostly working not really focused on it but but always you know checking the reddit board kind of mm -hmm. watching what people are doing on twitter eventually watching shelly roll out you know partic i participated in testnet just as as a delegator oh, um okay. and and it was all those things, right? So both, and actually I should rewind a tiny bit. I also, during that bull market and beyond, I started going to local meetups that were organized by some Ethereum folks, you know, in, in my city. Mm. Uh, because a lot of, you know, there were a lot of people throwing around ideas about what can this thing be in our hometown, in a local community. We talked about, we talked about building like, you know, like doing ICOs for breweries in our city. We thought that would be really cool, you know, and and obviously that led to learning about securities law and like, yeah, actually <laughs> if we make if we make these brew coins, they're they're not gonna pass the Howie test. So okay, let's let's maybe look for something else to do. <laughs> yeah. So um but but all of those conversations were always the most interesting part to me. And then to know that Cardano was trying to do all that plus governance was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to pay attention to this project. Yeah. It was the, the idea of governance and, uh, and a little bit around the venture capital, although that venture capital thing was already 
you know, famously part of Ethereum at one point, but I wasn't paying close enough attention to Ethereum to know about that. Um, but the, the idea of governance and, uh, self-direction and a community voting and community collaboration really is, um, unique at this scale at the very least. You know, I think other people are trying to do some form of something like that. Um, yeah. but, but not for a multi-billion huge, like this is one of the top 10, right? So, I, yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to fully grasp. I, I, I'm not sure I really understand how big it might be. Um, just kind of here taking it day by day. Yeah, certainly. Um, so that also leads to now you're part of Gimbal Labs and the birth of Gimbal Labs is, from my understanding, as an early uh, awarded proposal from uh, Project Catalyst. Was it round two? Yeah, that's right. So you're one of the original gangsters. <laughs> uh, I don't know how many people. I wasn't actually around and paying close attention during uh, Fun 2. It wasn't until Fun 3 that I really sort of woke up to what was going on and, and that I could participate. So you guys had already been funded and awarded and were establishing yourselves uh, along with other winners that I'm aware of. That original proposal, I suppose, was of a certain um, – I did read it over at once upon a time, but I don't have much on it for my notes. Uh, it was of a certain, I don't know, vision, but I suspect – in the time that it's been since then, that vision has changed. Um, and I know from doing the research on Gimbal Labs that that uh, there is a bit of fluidity to, to your guys' mission. But as far as you can at this moment, what is it you guys are trying to do in a general sense? And also, uh, maybe we'll give a quick mention too, because you have proposals that are up. I mean... I believe you have fun five proposals. Yeah, we do. Right. So, um, we should mention about those as well, but what is that sort of central vision? Even if it's a tiny bit hazy sometimes, uh, for what gimbal labs is trying to do as one of the sort of cornerstone proposals of Cardano. Yeah, totally. Um, one of the things, that we take a lot of pride in coming out of fund two is that we were, we were the first proposal to result from two different proposals merging. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I showed up for catalyst during fund one when there was no money on the line and just made an effort to meet as many people as possible and to, to really understand what motivated people and, and what everybody was trying to build and, and had some wonderful conversations. And I remember, well, and, and, and obviously when you're having those conversations, there's some people who resonate, you know, more than others yeah. and, and some people who really understood what was motivating me and others who, who didn't. And that was fine, right? Like this is the whole benefit of decentralization is that we can all pursue our own pathway and and that's beautiful that's the whole point so when it came time for fund 2 and we were uh combining these proposals 
that part didn't even make sense to everybody because some people were like, hey, but but you know, you've you've developed a reputation for yourself. Why do you why do you want to like share that with somebody? I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> this is the whole point, right? Like you can mm-hmm. you could do more together, right? Combining combining forces and and everybody bringing their different skills. For me, that was the most beautiful thing about Catalyst is yes, anybody can propose their their own idea, but really that proposal is the signal you're sending out into the world about who you are and what you stand for. And if if that signal attracts other people and you realize that that your ideas can can work together, that's so much more exciting. So, so my original idea was just this understanding, like we were talking about before, right? We're, we're, we have smart contracts. That's a new thing. Yeah. On-chain governance is a new thing. Governing a treasury. That's really interesting. There's, there's all sorts of, of new ideas, let alone the whole idea of blockchain in the first place. This is a lot for us to wrap our minds around. And, and most people, are going to need to see something different in order to really understand it, right? They 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 need to touch something and hold on to something or have an experience that makes them say, "Oh, wow. Hey, this feels new," right? And in mm. the very same way from an educational perspective, that's why my original proposal was just about experiential or project-based learning, right? creating spaces for people to come together and learn by doing to develop that that full uh, intuition that full facility with these tools and what they can do so i had that proposal in um roberto one of my co-founders had the dandelion apis proposal in fund 2 uh and we got to talking and we saw that if you know what he was building was going to create this uh this fine this technical infrastructure for allowing people to build what they want to build and i was trying to build this framework for how people would learn on top of something like that uh and then and then julie montag one of she was a community advisor in fund 1 uh, we asked her to join our team in Fund Two, and so that was that was the three of us. It was our names on that Fund Two proposal. Okay. Um, now, now the how the, the one thing I want to make sure to say is is truly our our mission and vision really haven't changed. the The way we are going about trying to achieve those must stay fluid, right? Because we're responding to feedback from people and from from the way things work we've done lots of experiments but from the fund to proposal right through to today and and onward the mission is to understand that cardano is first and foremost a problem solving platform and we want our role to be empowering people to solve problems on this protocol and uh, you know uh, we we have and that's right front and center kind of on the website and our vision is is to just see that as many people as possible have access to that interesting uh one thing that struck me as you were discussing your sort of origin story there 
the because you're a teacher, so you have a degree in education of some sort. Uh, I suppose that is backing you in the way that you want to, because you very specifically talk about experience-based learning, right? So to me, that's like, okay, wait a minute. This is not just someone who's trying to set up a dojo. This is, this is a professional. You know what I mean? Even though I'm not a teacher, I can tell like, wait a minute, this guy is, oh yeah, that's right. He's got a degree in education. So that must be influence influencing how you're trying to set that up. How does it influence what you're trying to set up from the, like, what are you trying to set up that you may have sort of brainstormed because of theory that comes from your education? Yeah, totally. Um, kind of a deep question and, uh, no, it only so sort of good. struck. It only struck me as as you were saying it, right? So that's not on the pre list of questions. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, it's it's really good. Um, I became a teacher because uh, because I recognized that the world doesn't work for most people, and mm-hmm. I thought, and like it's a it's such a fucked up thing to talk about. On excuse me, I just because. It's, it's, uh, it's hard. I've, I've always had a hard time explaining to a lot of friends and a lot of family that, listen, I'm, this is, this is not about virtue or anything. I'm just like, yo, the world is messed up and I have a chance to try to do something about that. It's, it's pretty straightforward. I don't blame anybody for doing any other kind of work like this is, but I'm, this is what I'm going to do. Right. And I, and mm-hmm. I, and frankly, I'd rather not justify that. Right. That was the hardest thing in my twenties was like when people wanted me to justify, like, why are you teaching? You know, your, your friends are doing this, this, and this. And I'm like, but this, this is just what I'm going to do. Don't, I, I don't really, I don't want to talk about this for too long. And the reason I'm sharing that part is, is just that, this technology with these layers on top of it is is the first thing i've found that feels like it has a good chance of of helping more people to solve more problems kind of like education does when it's done right right and and trust me i know all the arguments uh about why our current education system doesn't work. That, that is among the problems that I would love to see us as a human race make some progress on. Uh, mm. And we can save that for another conversation sometime. But, you know, my, my actions in the classroom reflected that. Uh, I'd be happy to go back and, and revisit any of those sometime. Uh, but the point is, a lot of what I am bringing to this work is from my experiences of figuring out how to teach math to high school students who couldn't have cared less about it, right? Finding ways to make it matter to them, finding ways to make it intrinsically motivating. And and a lot of that has to do with, with piecing together a story that makes sense. 
And so there, there's definitely some theory behind this, right? There's, there's a few theoretical frameworks that I refer to all the time when I'm thinking mm-hmm. about education. But most importantly, it's this kind of firsthand experience of, of figuring out what makes people tick, what, what makes sense to them. And it just felt really clear to me that I could apply something similar to this, this new technology that just like math is misrepresented in most media or, or public conversations. And, and the only way to, the only antidote to, to those narratives is to put it in front of people and say, Hey, here, here's this thing you decide. You know, uh, Another thing comes to mind as you describe that, the and, it, and it, it's hilarious to me because you mentioned uh, teaching high uh, math to a bunch of high school kids who could care less about math. Uh, and prior to that, you even uh, quite quite nicely apologized for swearing. Uh, I couldn't give a fuck about math when I was in high school. <laughs> I was that kid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's quite and. I'll tell you, I don't, I don't know what the American system is and, uh, I'm older than I sound, I suppose I'm 42. So, uh, don't, don't use my age in secret to the universe are are trying to hack me. Please don't, (laughs) please don't figure (laughs) out my birthday or whatever. You know what I mean? But, uh, uh, there's nothing to get. I don't have that much data. Just leave me alone. Um, but, uh, I was, uh, that weird sort of, I was a smart kid, but math was a bit of my, my weakness. I was better in English and uh, social studies. But in Canada at the time, we had math 10 and math 13. And then we had math 20 and math 23 and math 30 and math 33. And, you know, 10, 20, 30 was regular smart people. And uh, 13, 23, and 33 were essentially remedial idiots, all my buddies. You know what I mean? The mm-hmm. pot smokers and oh, all of, of us, course, of course, right. So, um, and then there was also Math Thirty One, which was the geniuses, right. But uh, so I started out in Math Ten because my grades, I just was of the intelligence that I should. Uh, did not do well, and I. It's been so long now that I don't remember if I did ten twice or twenty twice, <laughs> but I did. I did ten, twenty. 20 again, went into 30 and I hate math and I did more than anyone. And, and I went into 30, but then my life kind of fell apart when I turned 18 and, uh, and I was like out on my own right away and stuff like that. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh yeah, the whole life took a bit of a turn. I missed about a week of math 30 and, uh, and my teacher, I just, I was instantly lost. Right. So I go into math 33 and, uh, <laughs> and they're telling time. They were telling time. This is like 97. <laughs> they were telling time, like, if it's 8.45 and you got one and three quarter hours or something like that. And I just rolled my eyes in my head. And I was like, yeah, you, you got to be kidding me. These are the kids I hung out with at the smoke pit. Mm. Right? And I'm like, bro, for real? I, so I just skipped. I skipped like 80 classes or something like that and still smashed the test. Like, it was nothing. So it was just it's such a such a breakdown. I'd like giving that story because it's just hilarious to me. Yeah, that, that uh, I'm that kid that you were trying to reach, 
Um, and it's not your fault. <laughs> I just want to let you know that it's like a goodwill hunting moment. Well, Robin this, Williams now, and it's not your fault. I mean, I'll well, just say it over this, and over again. Even, even <laughs> that idea of it not being any individual's fault, that parallels too, right? What we're, we're in both the case of a broken education system and teachers working within it. And however you want to describe a lot of the current state of affairs that disempowers individual people and, and, and leads to despair or lack of access or lack of opportunity. I mean, it's, it is a system's fault and it's, and there's no point pointing a finger at any individual. In my opinion, it's, it's, yo, let's roll our sleeves up and let's, let's try to figure out a way to do it better. Right. Um, and so, so in, in both cases, as I know that there is obviously the, the blockchain space is highly politicized and there are certainly kind of, uh, uh, patterns that people take for granted, right? And 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 boogeymen that people set up and and certain politicians that people like to hate on more than others. But it's not in my opinion, it's not even their fault, right? We we built this thing that doesn't quite work and we can do it better. Uh and so so to maybe start from the education example, right? When I was I didn't like math in high school either. That's that's part of why I was excited to start teaching it. Even though when I that applied to when I, when I applied to be a teacher, I actually I was I was trying to get a position as like a a writing teacher. I had mm. this romantic vision of you know being the being the poetry teacher or something like that. But they needed math teachers more, and I was like, yeah, I'll try it. You know, that's I, a totally I, that, different Robin Williams movie. <laughs> that's that sounds fun. Yeah, that's just just take, took theme. a hard left turn from there. Yeah, he's the theme of this entire show from It's Not Your Fault to uh, Dead Poet Society. <laughs> nice. Very good. It Very is. good. Um, I was good at it too. <laughs> see? So I you, pick you, up that's, these that's, a nice, that's a nice literary connection you're making. This like is easy that. for me, but I can't do quadratics. <laughs> well, you see, and for me, the, the story that I always refer back to was when I was taught the unit circle in trigonometry, however old I was. I was made to memorize, uh, and actually, oh, look at that, memorize a mnemonic, right? That means a different thing to me now as a as an owner of a wallet. Um, but you, you oh, were yeah. made to memorize these mnemonic devices that helped you remember when different trigonometric functions were negative and positive as you yeah, went so in Katoa. circles around the unit circle, right? Uh, so Katoa, yeah, right, and and... All of that is not math. Memorizing what's mm. true here and false there, that's not math. Math is about systems. And if you can expose somebody to an underlying system, you have a chance of, of them seeing it for themselves, right? And, and they, still have to, they still have to take it on at some point and and put in the work to try to understand that system mm -hmm. but in terms of just human motivation being 
being guided on a journey to understand a system is infinitely more motivating than being told to memorize some mnemonic device. And, you know, I, I, there, there were kids who, the classic stuff, I, you know, I, I hate math. I don't, I, don't, I got, what am I ever going to use this, mister? What are we going to do with this? Why are you showing me this? Yeah. All of it, right? That was me. And I'll never forget. Yeah, exactly. It was me too. I'll never forget sitting there and this, this young lady, 11th grader, um, we had been, we had been buttonheads with each other all year. She wasn't interested in any of it. And, and we were, we, we were a few days in to really breaking down how the unit circle works and, and how it operates. And, and she just stands up and she goes, mister, this, this is creepy. And I was like, creepy. <laughs> she goes, oh, she goes, yeah. I mean, I just, I can't believe how it all fits together, you know? And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, all right. Something's ha something really, really cool is happening here. If you of all kids, and the word creepy, hey, I'll take it, you know? If you of all kids are standing up and saying, yo, I, I see something different here. And, and in reflecting on it, right, what she was really saying is, hey, I see this. I see this for myself. And I, I see pieces coming together that make sense to me. And it surprised even her. Like she found it creepy that, that suddenly this thing that felt so opaque was suddenly opening itself up to her and making sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and sure enough, on you know spring break a few weeks later, I was I was standing on a rooftop with a bunch of friends, like just cajoling the whole party to like listen to my lecture about the unit circle. And it and it wasn't a complete flop, uh, but you know that that's how fun it can be. And and we we all you know that night even had that conversation, just reflecting on on the ways we were taught and and what that means for our personal agency. You know, if whether you're made to memorize versus. Uh, being being guided to solve problems. Sorry, very roundabout answer to your question there, but like all of these, these are all the things that are kind of in my head when I think about like a journey that leads to this place here. Well, and that's, it is very relevant because, you know, it's discussing, like you said, who you are and what you stand for, right? So that story shows your philosophy in your approach to education for, I mean, you're talking about the unit circle. Um, and, but so many people don't understand how blockchain works, the potential of blockchain. And I know you, you have the approach of, of solving problems and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, how a system might solve a problem, how, uh, there's also, you know, the potential for, blockchain and cardano specifically or whatever um real crypto that isn't just some flash in the pan thing uh to be a platform uh, almost like a settlement layer type platform for for expressing strengths you know that's to me um as as a I don't want to say product of the education system because that's so so much victim talk but you know what I mean like just some dude just some regular dude who didn't care about school or whatever. Uh, you know, school isn't set up for someone like me to express my strengths or discover them That's right. or, or anything like that. Uh, professional 
professionalizing that, I think, is probably unrealistic. At, at least we're starting at less than zero, if that's the approach we want to take. Um, you know, that type of thing probably is handled best by communities, right? And it, it is, you know, if you have a personal disposition to have a strength in some type of uh, mathematics, then you end up joining some type of math community. Uh, mm-hmm. Or if it's in, uh, I don't even know what else, gameplay, sports, right? You end up joining those communities, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but Cardano, because people don't even have the basic infrastructure of, of finance, right? Or identity, you know what I mean? In some of these places, I, you know, so it, it, it enables them to have a platform to express their strengths, their gifts, gifts. I'm going to have fun edge, uh, <laughs> editing that word later <laughs> gifts. I don't know why it's always hard for me to say it. anything like that. Right. So not only solving problems, because we can try to put it, I mean, think about in, in, uh, the teacher game, if you try to just solve every kid's problem. But really, what you did with that girl, the, the grade 11 is somehow she was able to – you set up the facility in such a way that she was able to have her own strength to make the breakthrough in a way that really you weren't responsible for. That's right. Right? <laughs> it's not your fault. I'm going to figure out how to, no, how to, how to title this episode. It's not your fault somehow. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, if I can somehow clickbait that it's not your fault. <laughs> Robin Williams exposed. Um, <laughs> I'll figure it out. But anyways, and so I think it's brilliant. And that's, uh, that's why that's stories like that in particular are why I even wanted to do this podcast because like, yeah, dude. cause the, the branding of it to me, that's your brand. Right. And branding has like a, has like this, like, I don't know. People think like, oh, so you put a red square over a thing and some lettering and it says Coca-Cola. No, you know, there is that level of branding, but the true authentic brand, the one that will uh, enable you to have diamond hands through a bear market in, in whatever your product is, uh, is completely something else, right? It's your story. It's your story with that girl uh, the, the 11th grader and probably other stories that you have like that. Um, you know, for me and starting this podcast is more about exploring exactly the type of thing we're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, which is something I inherited from my grandfather. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, and, and bringing that message to the people in the Cardano universe who don't have that kind of experience with branding, uh, or cause I, I, I see it with, I don't know. I haven't really looked up gimbal labs or anything like that for that, but like, uh, I don't know, snake pools and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. just sort of like this, this thing that people don't, but that story is how you communicate who you are and what you stand for. That's your brand. That's right. Right. It's not just a, a picture of a thing. So, uh, I haven't figured out how to do transitions very well. So I'll well, look at my I, notes. actually, so I have, oh, I have one more story that might help and it's, okay. it's, there's so many parallels still. Um, One thing that kids used to say to me all the time is, Mr. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Right. And, and the flip side of that was, was, Hey, why do you, why do you always answer my question with another question? Right. Those were the two things that year after year I heard from kids all the time. 
And the nature of what it sounded like when they said that. In September, it was pure exasperation. And by the end of the year, every year they got it. You know, Mister, you always answer my question with a question. And, you know, and they would nod and say, you know, that's good. Mister, you don't, you don't just tell me what to do. I have to figure it out for myself, right? And yeah. this, this right here, this is what we're trying to do in blockchain. Not your keys, not your crypto, right? No, nobody's going to just hold custody of your money or your identity for you anymore. You have the ability to, to grab it and take control of it, right? We don't know where it all goes. There's every, around every term, there's, there's more questions, there's more that we have to figure out. And, and it's, it can be painful, right? Because we are, we are used to kind of pathways being charted for us. We are used to living in a society, at least, it, you know, in Canada and the United States, certainly more than places that don't have these systems built in. We, we are used to people taking care of things, you know, and so, so yeah. that we can minimize risk and minimize responsibility and, and kind of just be kind of, kind of floating along. And it's, it's, it, I, I think we are all waking up to the fact slowly that that's not healthy and we'd be better off if we just understood a little bit better our agency and we celebrated a little bit more the ability we each have to kind of, to kind of have an impact on, on our, on our world. Um, so yeah, I, again, I, I, these connect, I just keep finding these connections and the way you were saying that just reminded me of that other one. Yeah. I hope that helps with the transition. (laughs) No, I already thought of it. Uh, and I wanted to like, as you're talking about that, there's a friend of the show that's been on the show, Peter Block, uh, discusses, I think what you're talking about as sort of like the professionalization and outsourcing of our needs. Right. We just sort of, Oh, we'll hire a professional to take care of that. We'll hire a professional to take care of that. And, and it's, it functions, but at what cost? Mm -hmm. That's his angle that he's taking, right? Is and and he's trying to argue that it's coming across at too high of a price that we're paying. And what we're seeing in society nowadays is the price that we've paid, right? Mm -hmm. And this dissatisfaction we have with the patriarchy and, and stuff like this. Uh, in Canada right now, there's a, large controversy because they're starting to find the the mass media is starting to get a hold of the story of, of what happened at the first nations schools mm-hmm. right uh dead essentially dead native kids mm-hmm. just by the hundreds over what period of time who knows right so it's mm-hmm. like you know and uh and 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 that uh colonial mentality is the price, right? So as long as we sort of always strive towards this better, harder, faster, more efficient, like there's, there's a place obviously for professional uh, application of your skills and expressions of your strengths and gifts, but, uh, and, and competition in business, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, that's reality. But um, to keep outsourcing all our needs and wants, for someone else to take care of them, uh, 
is quite literally the metaphor behind, in my opinion, uh, unfortunate, uh, episode of residential schools here in Canada at the very least. Mm-hmm. And that's way oversimplifying it because mm-hmm. it's, uh, pretty brutal, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That type of thing's just happening. Uh, so I did figure out my transition, but unfortunately we're coming off a dark note there, but the transition. It's hard to I, talk about this stuff, but it's, yeah, no, it's. Hey man, like, you know, the residential schools right now is a, is a, yeah. is a conversation that's happening and finally being exposed to just the, the regular people. And if, I don't know if you have first nations friends in your life, you heard about that stuff mm-hmm. a long time ago, but um, yeah, just brutalized. Mm-hmm. And, and, it relates to blockchain in the same sense that, uh, you know, the people still don't have an economic identity. They're still not part of the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still no conduit into the system. There's still no, except to abandon, abandon what they have. Um, and there's still no platform for the expressions of their strengths, except mm-hmm. to abandon what they have. Right. And they're saying, well, what we have is our, is our strengths. You're asking us to abandon the little bit of a mechanism we have for the expression of our strengths, uh, to join your system, which brutalized us. Mm-hmm. And that's not just residential schools in the first nations. That's like, you know, from my understanding, all types of oppressed peoples, right? Yeah. You seem to be going down the rabbit hole here that I wasn't anticipating. Hey, this is, <laughs> this is where it leads us, right? Yeah. And I'm trying to think of a, I don't know my Robin Williams movies that well to see which one he <laughs> talked about that dealt with that. I don't think he did. Um, but where I wanted to go, because uh, we do have a little bit of time left here, you have some proposals up for uh, voting. So we should talk a little bit about those specifically. Now, unfortunately, I didn't do my prep well enough to have those up in the tab. Uh, but what do you got going on in around fun five? I'll obviously have those, those details in my, uh, show notes when it comes time to do the publishing of this episode. But, you know, it's at this point, it's going to be a couple of weeks for that publishing. Uh, still in time for some voting and, and learning about, uh, what Gimbal Labs has on the table. But what do you have on the table? What should yeah, people know about? Thanks. Oh, thanks for the opportunity, Dallas. Yeah. Um, And, and yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning. I mean, you and I just reached out to each other to have a chance to talk. Like, I, I'm not here to, to specifically talk about Fund 5, but if the timing works out, I think it's great to be informing people and, again, letting people read what's there and, and make decisions. And mm-hmm. we wrote these proposals a few months ago. There's been a few delays in Catalyst because it's unprecedented and delays are going to happen. Yeah. Um, so a few things I... I let me see how many I can remember. Our, our biggest one is in the Dev Ecosystem Challenge, which is the same place we had a Fund 4 proposal. Voting just ended on that last week, and we're, mm-hmm. we're eager and hopeful to see the results. Both of our last two Dev Ecosystem proposals were based on our observation that there are not yet enough developers to deliver on the work that that is about to need to be done on cardano right we we know that huge bottleneck right we hear and we hear it from the leaders of io the leaders of cardano foundation right we've got we've got this many nation states we have this many fortune 500 companies waiting in the wings and and those two organizations don't 
have enough people to handle all of those needs. And Alonzo is not even on mainnet yet, right? So we 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 recognize that the what the the best role we can play is to help more people level up, right? And we have this infrastructure of experiential and project-based learning and of the dandelion APIs that that provide an easier on-ramp. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a few other projects we're working on, but it all comes back to this idea that, hey, let's build the capacity of more people to be the developers that we need. So, so that's our biggest proposal in Dev Ecosystem in Fund 5. We kind of outline, you know, we're really trying to imagine with the Fund 5 pro- proposal a, a specific almost like a fellowship or or something right where we where we just bring a smaller number of people in to be a class of experts and to learn and grow together by contributing to the ongoing work that we're doing uh so that's one uh on the dandelion and the work that's happening with dandelion is unbelievable right now the initial mm-hmm. idea uh from Roberto's first proposal was just to serve up free and open source APIs so that people don't have to do all the work of spinning up a node and syncing up with DBSync just to test out their ideas, right? Uh, Instead, he serves those up and anybody can access those and use them. They're free, uh, but hopefully anybody who's paying attention recognizes in thinking about something like that, uh, another bottleneck, of course, but also a point of failure, right? You have to trust Roberto to be an honest actor yeah. in the instances of DBSync or, or the Cardano node, for example, that he is pushing out to the world. Uh, and you're relying on, on his instances to be reliable, uh, which clearly one person is not enough to serve those up. Certainly not, certainly not for production level applications. Um, so it's, uh, sorry. And I, I, I went on that tangent to kind of describe a little bit about what Dandelion is. The yeah. point is Dandelion actually has a proposal in the DeFi challenge and we got good feedback about that. It wasn't it wasn't obvious to everybody why this was in the DeFi challenge, uh, and a lot of people just told us. You know, a lot of the CAs said, you know, that you should have put this in the Dev ecosystem. Yeah. So I guess I'll take this public opportunity to push back against that. Right? What Dandelion is going to do is very similar to what stake pools allow people to do which is to share in the financial benefits of running a layer of the protocol. So running a stake pool means that you are sharing in the profits of the Cardano settlement layer, right? Those profits go to stake pool operators, to delegators, and then also to the treasury, which then funds Catalyst. With Dandelion, we're, we're looking to set up something similar where people will be incentivized to run an honest, reliable node 
so that anybody can access those APIs. And and anybody who's serving APIs, right? This is this is not a blockchain thing. This is pretty standard practice uh, in app and web development. Is that yeah, you pay for you pay for subscriptions to an API, right? There's always a free yeah. tier for limited usage, but then above a certain point, you pay for that. Because just like sending money across any settlement layer, whether it's a blockchain or a Western Union or a credit card network, in the very same way, serving an API, it costs something and it, yeah. and it shouldn't be free, right? There's infrastructure for that. People's time have gone into that. And that's a nice, honest way to make a living is to serve up useful, relevant data that people want. And so we're we're building out a model for that. It's going to require, you know, some kind of user authentication mechanism and it's going to require a a tokenomics implementation that that fairly compensates and fairly tracks whose APIs are are whose instances of dandelion are are doing the heavy lifting. Uh, and and routing the the paid subscriptions for those appropriately to people. So we're really excited about that. That's there's you know the building the APIs uh, and 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 building the Kubernetes deployment of Dandelion for serving those. That's that work is in you know that work has been done for a while. The monitoring. Uh, the team has been working really hard on that lately. And should this proposal get funded, we're really excited to dig into those details. Uh, and then we have a few other smaller proposals. And this is where it's it's getting pretty exciting to have been participating in Catalyst for a while to the point where we can put in a few extra proposals outside of our core work and just see if if they get funded and it's okay if they don't, right? And this is, I hope to see more behavior like this in Catalyst of people saying, look, there's a few different things I could do, but let me ask the community which one I should spend my time on. Uh, so we have uh, a DAP, uh, a few of the people who helped us with our branding assets. We're currently finishing a website redesign that we'll have out by the end of the summer. Um, but but the guys who helped us with our brand assets, they're very passionate about typography. And when we were telling them about NFTs and digital access rights, they were like, oh, this, you know what? This would solve a lot of problems in terms of uh, font rights. And so we have uh, a DAP application in alongside them to to build out a font management and uh, rights application. Uh, I threw an app, I threw, I, I keep calling them applications like it's a job. <laughs> I threw yeah. a proposal in for, um, for the Cardano value onboarding, just of supporting newcomers to Catalyst to name problems that they see and then to take those, right? Like, all of us, the longer we've been in Catalyst, the less able we are to see the big picture because we're all kind of zoomed in on our thing. But I think yeah. newcomers, every cohort, are going to have special insight into what Catalyst is and how it can be improved. So I'd like to work with those people, especially the most cynical ones, and 
and try to figure out how they're seeing this thing and 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 turn their ideas into some proposals. Um, I'm sure I'm sure we have a few other ones in there. We kind of spread out a bunch, like I said, just to see what would work. But those are some of the the biggest ones. Yeah, and after uh, the recording in the next few days or whatever, I'll make sure to get those links from you. I always include links in the descriptions of of the video or the uh, the audio part of the podcast, so um, people can scroll through Idea Scale, see what you have going on. Uh, obviously, the the main ones are kind of your main focus. As you brought up the the Dandelion API DeFi proposal, it kind of it struck me as a I mean that seems like an essential, an essential part of of an infrastructure that just kind of wasn't anticipated by IOG or something like that. You know what I mean? If people really want to get in there and develop this sort of thing, they're all going to need access to APIs, just like anybody who you know. If you're going to set up a Shopify store or port Amazon stores into your website or something, you know what I mean? It's all the same sort of thing. So to have a somebody trying to get information from the Cardano blockchain totally makes sense, right? And then, like you said, initial uh, initial interactions might be free or something like that up to a certain point. But then, if you need a a certain level of reliability, then then a modest fee, right, mm-hmm. would be would be industry standard. And it actually it sounds to me like. All, I picture a decentralized sort of ownership of road toll booths. That's kind of what it sounds like to me. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. where it's got 50 different owners mm-hmm. and then, but all this traffic deposits a couple pennies for each car that goes through. And then it just sort of rotates the, uh, the cup around for, for who's in possession of those pennies at that time. That's actually how the Amazon works. They have, when you buy something on Amazon, they have what's called the buy box. So if you have 10 different sellers of the same item on Amazon, it'll essentially, according to their algorithm, right, rotate through who has possession of the buy box because people don't really look through all the different sellers. They just see buy now for fourteen ninety seven. Right? Yeah, we should call up Amazon and ask them to open source that algorithm so we can borrow it, right? Yes, the Amazon A9 algorithm. <laughs> they'll be more than willing to tell everyone their black box magic. <laughs> but it's true. And, and for me, it's right where I'm talking about this kind of end goal. But in the immediate term, anybody can set up their own dandelion node, right? Anybody can set oh. one up. And if you're in a real hurry, you can use Roberto's instance and soon enough you'll be able to use other folks' instance. But yeah, this is all open. We're and we're trying to teach people how to use Kubernetes, right? That's that's gonna be a whole nother avenue is helping people do that. I don't even uh, know what that is. It's it's a you know what Docker is? Uh no. So it's it's containerization. It's actually it's a really interesting solution to the problem of everybody working on a different device and trying to to find some standard so that it doesn't matter what device you're on, but you can use a container solution like Docker or Kubernetes just to just to ensure that this resource runs the way I thought it would. Um, Kubernetes is a little bit more than that. It it's it does an amazing job distributing the computational load 
over a set of machines uh, in a way that the user really barely has to think about. Um, mm. So it's nice. It's actually, it's, it's speaking of things that are hard to get my brain around, I'm still working on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but at yeah. least I've seen it in action to the point to be like, yeah, okay, that's really cool. I wish I better understood exactly how it works. Uh, that, that came out of Google because they recognized, you know, the need to deploy an application and have it run on any server anywhere in a super reliable way. Yeah. So it's almost like a little shell. That's right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, so that's, uh, that's kind of wraps up what you have going on for the proposals. Well, what about, we obviously should start wrapping up here. Can you think of anything specifically? Like, obviously I sent you like 30 questions and I always send people so many questions, but that was like a recommendation I got from another guest. And he was right that when you don't have any questions ahead of time, it doesn't mm. like the, the, the guest is really just sort of on pins and needles, even though they're, <laughs> you know what I mean? Even though there's no yeah. reason to be or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so send a bunch of questions and then just talk about whatever anyways. That's been my method. That's, <laughs> we that's, got through about uh, two of these. That's a really good teaching strategy too, right? Write a really epic long lesson plan and then and then go follow then the talk kids about wherever they go. Yeah. Robin Williams movies. <laughs> for, Done. For Done. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just bring the TV in and the VCR in. <laughs> let people put their heads down. Although I suppose nowadays it's uh they just let them play on their phones. But uh <laughs> yeah, so can you think of anything uh that specifically you wanted to address or bring to people's attention about Gimbal Labs, what's going on? Uh, I mean, obviously there's an opportunity to, for the voting, but we discussed that. Um, hey guys, we're Gimbal Labs. Come hang out with us. Something like that. Did you have anything? Yeah. Oh, I'd be thrilled to. Um, we are trying to create a space where anybody can show up and get something out of it, right? Hmm. This is... Uh, there is so much new about blockchain protocols, and I believe this one in particular, right? The way, the, the level of thought, research, development, and the just the number of hands that have mm. contributed to Cardano, it's, it's, it's amazing. And we don't fully understand the full implications of it. And our theory is that the only way to find out is by getting together and trying to build upon it. And when I say build, obviously development is part of that, but it's not just that, right? We need people who have a broad array of experience to bring their, you know, the real problems they've encountered in the world and, and to bravely say, hey, this, this problem can these tools do anything about it, right? And I think we've created a safe place to ask that question. Um, and uh, oh, go ahead. I have this strength. What can I do with it? You know what I mean? Like someone like uh, Rene Metla, mm -hmm. who's a friend of the show. Mm -hmm. So his strength is uh, uh, being from Switzerland or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good strength. <laughs> his his Europeanness. He's a, a ten out of ten. Uh, you know, so he might say something like, well, I have this uh, engineering strength. What can I do? Mm -hmm. Right. Or someone like uh, 
Michael McNulty has some type of organizational acumen, mm-hmm. right? What can I do? Right. So yeah, a, a place for all that as well as what I understand from uh, the swarm sessions are doing a little bit of that too. But uh, from what I've seen on the discord and stuff, as I snoop around, uh, yeah. Gimbal Labs also has that atmosphere. I, and I, ideally, right, we talk about that too as leaders is hopefully this discord is worthwhile even for people who are just lurking, right? Hopefully yeah. there's some ideas that are, that are passing over people's eyeballs and, and giving people just a different way to think about something. So yeah, uh, we, we have a weekly meeting every Tuesday, uh, it's noon, my time on the East coast, 4 PM UTC. Is that the, uh, that ends up being the YouTube video that, oh no, this one is just, we don't even record it. Oh, um, okay. it's not because we're trying to be secret or private just because it's, there's certain things that I just don't need to add to the content that's out there, you know, and, mm-hmm. and for people to parse afterwards everything that happened this is a place for people to come together we talk about big ideas everybody is welcome sometimes people stick around and they keep coming sometimes people even end up collaborating with others on a project right yeah that's what we're trying to make space for uh and you know one of your other questions here was just about first principles so i'll just say related to that right we, all of us who started Gimbal Labs mm-hmm. want to be autonomous agents and we recognize that we need each other, right? And, and so the grand experiment of Gimbal Labs is saying, okay, let's value autonomy as far as we possibly can and give people as much space as possible to do their thing. And when they realize they need some help, we're gonna provide the scaffolding for that. And we're trying to do that for ourselves first, right? It's, so it's, this is not just like going, like startup mentality of like going, about, going out and trying a bunch of different experiments and seeing what catches on. No, we're just like, we're doing this on ourselves because we know what we want it to be. And fortunately, you know, there's, there's a couple other people out there like us who this this way of doing things is resonating and those people stick around. Uh, and, and when people show up, we tell them all the time. So I can tell anybody listening right now, and forgive me if I repeat myself when we actually meet someday, uh, you know, if you come to Gimbal Labs, you can stick around for only a few days if that's all you need, right? Just come, get the help you need or ask the questions that you have and, and see who can help learn the things you need to learn about. And then, hey, if that's all you want and you want to go build your own thing, we won't blink about that. We're going we're gonna to say, hey, good job. Congratulations. If you build something great, come back and show us, you know? Yeah. Uh, but there's no, there's no insistence or expectation. We're not, we're not trying to hold proprietary rights to things. We're just trying to do good work because we think this is what needs to be done. And there's there's so much work coming our way that this this feels like the only appropriate way to do it. Yeah, and uh, I think that dovetails again, probably the third time specifically into who you are, 
and what you stand for. Right. And that's essentially unanimous, unanimous, but autonomous throughout gimbal labs. So, uh, on that note, uh, the only quote I can think of from dead poet society is, <laughs> Oh, captain, my captain. I like to end. I don't know the rest of the thing, but everyone yeah. stands on their desk and goes, Oh, captain, my captain. And then, and, and Robin Williams looks like he's like happy about it. Oh, it's so, been a long time, but yeah, I can yeah, picture I that scene. Yeah. I can he's, got, he's got a beard, it. right? So, you know, when Robin Williams has a beard, he's being, he's the nice, he's the Serious. good guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> when he's got a, a naked chin, then he's being silly. <laughs> That's that, that was his thing. So, uh, but on that note, uh, how I like to end is, well, I, I also like to end on a, on a vision of the future, but we've kind of, we've kind of talked about that the entire time. So that's fine. Mm. But what I like to say is we look forward to your success. Where can people, um, we look forward to seeing your success, but where can people find you? I guess, I mean, I look for you on the discord, but if people don't know about the discord, is that the best place to get a hold of you guys? Oh man. Be thanks, part of the Alex. team, probably. Yeah, definitely. The Discord is the first place to go. There's a link to our Discord server on our website. Um there will be in the show notes as well. Excellent. Yeah. So the website is up. Um it's it's the first version of the site, you know. So so take it with a grain of salt. I threw that together right. as quickly as I could just to get something out there. And we're working on something a little bit more professional right now. Mm -hmm. Um Discord is where most of it happens. And I recognize the limits of Discord, right? Like you can't run a whole organization there, but it's yeah. a darn good place to start. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be looking forward to finding better ways to connect with and organize people uh, in the years to come. Sounds good, sir. We've, uh, we're honored to have you on. I think this uh, episode has been brilliant. I'm glad people will be getting even more exposure to uh, gimbal labs in the future. And, uh, and it, I'm stoked to see what appears to be such a quality organization as a, as a cornerstone, uh, proposal that got rewarded in the Cardano ecosystem. If you think about it 15 years from now, when we're in fund, whatever, a hundred something, 200 something, I don't even know. Uh, I'm not, I'm not good at math. So bring it back, but, uh, bring it back. Yeah. Is it, is it less than that? Whatever 15 <laughs> times 15 is 225. Uh, the, uh, two, when we're in fund 225, right. Uh, gimbal labs would, will be, uh, like bedrock foundation layer. Oh man. Uh, it's going to be fun seeing what happens between now and then, but yeah, we're here for it. And Dallas, thanks for having me on. It means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everyone. That was the show. Please check the notes for the links that were mentioned in the episode there. Links to the idea scale proposals. Give those a peruse. See if there's something that you resonate with. You can look towards connecting with Gimbal Labs at some of their contact links also in the show notes. Reach out to them in any way you can if you'd like to be involved. Also, uh, go ahead and follow me on my Twitter if you want to keep up with what's going on with this show. I'm uh, incredibly busy lately and uh, the production schedule has suffered a tiny bit because of it. 
but the show is still going. Great guests are still coming up. Great guests are still getting scheduled. Great guests are still rescheduling and interesting things are still happening here. So again, check out James, check out Gimbal Labs, see what's going on with them. See if it's what you're about, if they're about what you're about. Stay tuned, of course. Obviously, I got uh, (laughs) more bangers coming up. Next guest should be Alex Norris of NASEC Stake Pool. So there you go. We're going to be getting in, uh, getting into the, the nitty and the gritty with the stake pool operating community. So that's what's up. Here's where it's going down. Cardano Citizen out. <laughs>